You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop, the show that's a little bit of everything with a K-Pop twist. Visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com for more information about the show. That's 17-C-A-R-A-T-K-P-O-P.weebly.com. Enjoy the show! Hello everybody and welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today on the show I'm going to be talking about three topics that seem totally unrelated but are totally related and I'll explain why as we go. We're going to talk about dreams and the psychology of what pops up in your dreams. We're going to talk about MTV and how MTV and TRL really laid the groundwork for and provides extra evidence for why K-Pop is what it is today and the forces behind the popularity of those types of programming. And we're going to talk about specifically K-pop and the artists with the music video worlds that are that will be eternally relevant and stand the test of time and why my top 21 picks for best music videos from different artists, the artists that release the best music videos, why I pick them on the list, it will all make sense later. So we're going to dive into the world of dreams and the parallels to music videos and all of that today. I do want to just say really quickly that headlines, there have been a lot this week in the world of K-pop, will be talked about in an upcoming episode. We have to talk about all the BTS content we've gotten lately and their great words of wisdom. We've got to talk about NCT 2020. We've got to talk about Super M's new album. I've got to break that down in a new episode. A lot is coming. I'm going to save it for a few episodes that are coming up very soon, so just stay tuned. Within this week, you'll be getting a lot of content from me, but for today's episode, we're just going to focus on the dream worlds and how music videos emulate what happens when we fall asleep. Your action of the day is to please visit standwithbree.com that's standwithbre.com for justice for Brianna Taylor although true justice would have been if she were still alive today but there's still petitions to sign phone calls to be made this fight isn't over for her so please remember her and visit that website for more tools and information I'm going to give you a super condensed crash course on music video history and the evolution of the music video, but just bear with me. It may seem totally irrelevant. What does this have to do with K-pop? What does this have to do with Seventeen and the other artists I specifically want to point out? Just hang in there and bear with me. So I think this extra context will help emphasize what's all connected about music videos over time and what the everlasting appeal of the music video is, why it's still relevant today. This actually dates back to the 1930s when Oscar Fischinger, as well as a few other artists, were trying to experiment with mixing music and images together. So this actually dates back to marketing jingles, kind of where the original music video idea. Then Fischinger, side note, went on to work for Walt Disney and helped create the imagery around Fantasia, which was out in 1940, so that's just an interesting uh, note. His career was long and started early in terms of his, he was ahead of his time. In 1957, movies like Jailhouse Rock and Summer Holiday, musical, music-filled movies became very popular. Rock music videos really started popping up around clubs throughout Europe in the 70s. That was a time period really where uh, the stage persona of artists became more needed. The rise in the, the alter ego rock persona was simultaneous with the rise of music video popularity to the visual element of musicians in their work became more the bar was raised in terms of what fans were expecting from these artists and who they were on stage. The Beatles were actually using music videos for a different reason, not necessarily to show a different side of themselves, but just because they wanted to show any side of themselves and they couldn't hear themselves over the screams of fans, so music videos were a way for them to make sure they could be heard, literally. So I just found that interesting, but that was not the primary common reason why artists turned to music videos. In the 1980s, there was this drawn uptick in the confidence of and the appreciation for art and the power of that visual to go with a song. There was this realization that managers had that they could promote a song through video play even before audio play and radio airplay. So you can get viewers kind of hyped up for the song to officially release and be streamable before it's streamable. And so that became a trend starting in the 80s when that realization dawned on people. 
1981, MTV, which stands for Music Television, started in the USA, and record sales spiked almost immediately after MTV launched, so it really did help drive attention towards these artists' content. The first music video that ever aired on MTV is called Video Killed the Radio Star. It's by The Buggles. It's from 79, and so a few years later, uh, a few it was a few years old by the time it was on MTV, but that's what they chose. And the look and the sound of this video brings to mind to music critics the sound of British radio stars from the 50s, 60s. So it had this nostalgia feel, even though it was brand new which is kind of a summary of MTV's brand, really, bringing the past and the future together in their ideas. MTV actually wasn't financially sustainable the first few years. It didn't seem like it would make it financially. It was operating on losses, but MTV was still willing to persist because they viewed it as a great time to showcase what the music video potential was. It was viewed as a long-term investment, and that turned out to pay off. It was risky, but it did pay off for MTV to market, to have this marketing strategy that was long-term thinking, as opposed to worrying about short-term gains. Because MTV really started out in its original form, it was 24-7 music videos, and they didn't have overhead fees, really. Uh, other TV stations, when they air music videos, they have to pay to do so, but MTV was just given the ability to promote these artists, and so it was a lot of informal deal-making that helped MTV. MTV in 1984 was already considered the highest rated basic cable service on the air, drawing in over 24 million viewers. Also keep in mind what's interesting about 1984 is that that was also the year where on the Billboard Top 100 list, only three of the albums on the, out of those 100 had no promotional video accompanying the song, which really showed how quickly and how urgently suddenly there was this need for a visual component to really promote a work and have it be successful on the charts. By 1985, though, MTV's ratings had tanked a bit, dropped 30% in the course of a year, but MTV has always refuted that, claimed that Nielsen's rating system was flawed. It seemed to be a bit of a bump in a road, though, because they did get ratings back after that. They were so popular, actually, globally, that MTV Europe was able to launch two years later in 1987. So, thanks to MTV's impact, sometimes songs are written with the music video in mind, and that wouldn't have been the case if MTV had never existed and the concept behind it, where MTV basically was all about playing music videos on the channel all the time. It was designed with a very unique, specific aesthetic that was still relatable. So the original MTV was very, very chill. It was kind of just like hanging out in your friend's basement kind of a vibe. Even just like dim lighting, it wasn't super professional looking and that was the point. It was just like a super chill thing. You could just come home from school and turn on MTV and it would feel like you were just hanging out with friends after class. They also had that iconic catchphrase, I want my MTV. They would say, you know, too much is never enough and phrases like that. Definitely the language of, you know, quote unquote obsessive fans and they really helped feed into those quote unquote obsessions. It was this cable channel aimed at ages 18 to 34 and it really found a way to appeal to that demographic and younger by feeling like it was very inviting. It wasn't this like elitist news reporting. It was a unique, fresh way to get music-related news and watch m music videos and feel like they weren't judging you for liking those videos. They were playing them for you. So that's really why it took off, and it was also kind of seen as a way to bring new generation of music to the forefront of people's minds because MTV intentionally stayed away from acts that like the baby boomer era people had loved, like Elvis. They really tried to instead choose more contemporary artists and also found it a way to just bring bring a new sound and new music trends to a new audience. So MTV actually never really had competition in this specific concept area. There were a few flop attempts, like there's this guy Ted Turner, I won't go too much into detail about him, but he basically tried to create like a an MTV spin-off that was more educational. It flopped, no one was into it. So anyway, the point is that no one has been able to repeat this formula in quite the same way. However, there are some things about MTV's marketing that I found parallel the success of K-pop award shows like 
the the show that is on every week. It's called literally the show and music core and all of the music bank, all of that. First of all, here are a few of the keys that I've noticed that it seemed to lead to MTV success and why people seem to love it. And one more thing about it to note is that it was ahead of its time in terms of total request live, aka TRL, where fan votes actually helped helped show chart rankings, and that that's what's really most similar about MTV and K-pop. Um, live performance shows because of the voting and the ability to feel like you are a part of the final product. So number one in terms of MTV's key marketing strategies is that it had that unique and very quickly beloved relatable brand image that stood out. It was very personable. It felt, again, not like this fancy schmancy news setting. It felt just like a place where you could just be heard and listened to and share your ideas and input, and it was a very interactive, personal experience to get to choose and help have a hand in what songs were revealed on TV. And so it was like kind of like hanging out at the cool kids table in the cafeteria, but it was on TV. Number two is that MTV really helped validate and normalize fandom activity, which really set a big precedent because, you know, fans were no longer looked at as this abnormality. Now it's like a given almost that you're a part of at least one fandom. It gave fans the sense that their their love for certain artists was valid and it was encouraged. That behavior that had been labeled before as just obsessive or out of control or just weird and not mainstream was so normalized when they just routinely got to talk to other fans and campaign for their favorite songs from their faves and all of that. And so that feedback was very much appreciated by fandoms. And that's really, there's a lot more about the history of fandom culture I go into and how to stand on my latest from that show. So check out the episode called Boy Bands vs. Sports Teams for more on the history of pop culture versus sports fandom characterizations and how pop culture fans have not been treated fairly. But uh, anyway... That was huge, uh, the interactive elements. So number one, MTV's marketing success that I also consider a K-pop show marketing success is this very unique and beloved brand image and feeling like it's just very personal and welcoming. Two would have to be the fact that it's super interactive and give fans that sense of agency and an ownership over what you see on TV. Impressive, subtle product placement. So MTV's version of advertisements has not been in your face, you know, and that's really something that over time, younger generations have been able to see through more and more. They see, we see marketing techniques that are being used to try to get us to buy stuff. We don't fall for it as easily now that we're kind of used to it. And we know how commercials are made and work really. Like we've kind of gone smart to it and we can see through the smoke and mirrors of it all. So MTV never really tried to to overtly sell products. They've always done it with at least the original 24-7 music video version of MTV. It was through their videos. You know, you would just see like certain brand names in the props in the music video set or certain outfits worn by by one of the stars in the music video. It was never like, hey, buy this. It was never in your face. It was just subtle there so like subconsciously you could start thinking about that brand and maybe associating that brand with positive memories or a good song and so it was very sly and impressive from a marketing standpoint and k-pop artists sometimes do that too i see because not necessarily on those k-pop performance shows but because think about like the bunny hat for example so nyan from twice i would credit with uh being one of the main stars who helped popularized the bunny hat overseas and that was just because she wore it at a fan meet you know so uh, opportunities when celebrities can you know not intentionally set out to sell out a product but they just do that is just you know it's when you have people like that that can do that that is just good marketing I'm just saying anyway so it was this seamless blend of marketing content with relatable content and this welcoming demeanor so it didn't feel corporate is what I'm saying Number four, MTV was a success because of the psychological aspects of its structure and programming that really show um, what worked. And we're going to talk about that in depth in a minute. And this is where the direct K-pop comparisons are going to come in. So there's a lot of scholarship from sociologists, psychologists, etc. that I have been reading about how dreams work 
and how dreams are actually very similar to music videos. Some of these connections I've drawn and some of them these scholars have drawn. So I'm not just saying, hey, I think all of these concepts that are associated with dreams also are associated with music videos. They are overtly connected to music videos and why psychologically they're enjoyable to watch through these studies. So I'm going to post the sources on my blog very soon, so make sure you check out the show's website. But let's just dive in. So I put together a list that sums up the main points and parallels drawn between music videos and when you're in this dreaming state, literally dreaming, and what that does to you emotionally. So first of all, both music videos and dreams can be a constant background presence in your life in a way. Your life as you go about it is always creating you're always creating all of these things like you interact with on a daily basis and then you might have a dream and then you reflect on what was in the dream and you realize that in the dream were some of those people you were thinking about the other day or some of the worries you were expressing the other day. All these things that you might have seen at the corner of your eye or directly throughout your day those might pop up in your dreams in this weird combination. So it's a compilation of things that your mind was processing throughout the day. And that's what MTV did, you know, it was 24-7, you could just have it on in the background when you did other stuff during your day, and it was just always constantly adding things to your mind about, pro you know, products that were placed in the music videos, artists whose songs you had just listened to, and so all of that kind of manifests and creates these what some of them described as a, quote, cultural dream pool of memories to draw from. So really it just influences your what you think about on a daily basis, which is so impactful. Second connection between music videos and dreams is that memory recall is associated with the five senses. So when you hear a certain sound that sounds like something you heard in a music video, you probably recall that music video. Like Stray Kids fans, you know what I mean when I'm saying like if you hear a crow, you might start singing awkward silence or just kind of think about awkward silence, something like that. Or, you know, Seventeen fans, when we hear a siren, we have to be annoying and be like, siren, wee-oo, wee-oo. Like, you know, you have moments like that. Those are kind of the same as with dreams and how like, what you're taking in through your five senses throughout the day is what forms and manifests into actual things that happen in a dream, if that makes sense. So that's how memories are triggered similarly. Third, both music videos and dreams are illogical. They're not bound by conventional expectations. You can fly, you can walk up walls, you can, you know, whatever. But you can do all sorts of stuff you can't do in, like, the normal world. And they're open for interpretation, usually in their meaning. That's huge with dreams and what each thing sim might symbolize or what might mean nothing. And same in music videos, you know. I, you know me, I love to overanalyze what music videos represent. Sometimes it is overanalyzing probably, but sometimes it's not. And that ambiguity is very similar to what it's like to try to remember what your dream meant and why you dreamed it. There's also the dual role of spectator, so you're viewed as both in on the action and just an observer of it. There are abrupt scene transitions that defy logic. Events may seem to happen out of order or just in a weird order with weird transitions. You shift into this different psychological state. You can have a physical response to a song just as you can something, some action in your dream. The actions are kind of carried out alive in real time. You're not like in a flashback daydream mode. Like the dream is your reality for the moment. It's not like in your dream you're dreaming about dreaming. At least I don't think that's a thing. There's an emphasis on the visuals to tell a story. And the image is your reality. That is everything. There is nothing else to turn to because in that moment you're just consumed with that one reality. It's full of decentering, which is this concept that basically refers to... It's kind of like the effect of channel surfing and just kind of seeing what's on. Decentering refers to this uh, randomness quality to what you could see on MTV. Uh, similar to dreams where we kind of, when, you know when you wake up from a dream that was full of all sorts of things, you wake up but you only recall a handful of the things that were probably actually in the dream? It's like that where the randomness of it all comes together and everyone can take away something different. You know, some, ten people could have the same dream and they'll each wake up remembering two different 
two totally different elements of it or something. And same with music videos, you know, like, I might walk away from a music video with all this symbolism and someone walked away with an entirely different interpretation. Dreams are seen as this living between stage of what it, these neurophysiological and psychological studies describe as a culture and biology. So there's culture, there's biology, and then somewhere in between is where dreams pull from both extremes. There's this psychiatrist and a dream researcher, that's his actual specification, is researching the meaning of dreams, Alan Hobson. He talked about this thing called REMs, aka rapid eye movements. While we're dreaming, these rapid eye movements that we're actually undergoing involves our brain cells firing in a way that transmits information through our nervous system in just disorganized ways, unclear ways, ways that it doesn't normally when you're half asleep, basically. There's this thing called the Hobson-McCarley activation synthesis model, which is a fancy way for saying that when you're dreaming, your forebrain can choose images to align with those eye movements. So the dreaming brain basically causes your eyes to send a signal basically creating the randomness. Basically, there's a neurological explanation for the randomness, but it really is a psychological situation. It's not just all speculation. Your dreams really do mean something and connect to your subconscious mind in meaningful ways is what I'm trying to say. Hobson said, quote, during waking, the brain is taking pictures. Images are accepted at a rate of about 10 to 20 per second. And owing to the operation of the afferent image, efferent signal com comparative process and visual blanking, goes on to talk a lot more about jargon. But then he says um, that people will perceive the visual world as continuous and the visual field remains constant. Our brains shoot, develop, and edit instantaneously. Individual images or the fused image they can be called up with difficulty and are weakly perceptible in a waking fantasy but are more easily acceptable and vividly perceptible in dreams basically saying that your brain's like a camera and as you go through your daily life it is taking in so much and some of those impressions are turned into real photographs of sorts on your mind while others are kind of the negatives that come out of that camera roll to keep going with that metaphor the brain is always editing and throwing out discarding some pictures that didn't turn out clear enough and keeping others and so you can pull out a certain photo from this stack metaphorically, but you can't necessarily always do that, and you can't really choose which one from which ones end up looking well and which ones don't. A lot of it is based on chance and circumstance. There is a piece from Marsha Kinder in film Quarterly that is similar in how it talks about the parallels she sees between dreams and videos. She says, first of all, there's the lack of the structural continuity, there's the decentering, loose and broad themes that are kind of thrown together in ways that seem irrelevant, um, a seemingly continuous, no concrete ending, a memory retrieval tricks get tapped into, and there's that omnipresent viewer of the action. What all this means is that, first of all, um, MTV's marketing genius came from its its welcoming atmosphere, its relatability, its non-cleaned-up factor, its blend of marketing techniques in a way that was long-term uh, sustainable and paid off, its embrace of fans' passion and tool providing an outlet to utilize that passion, its mixing of this cultural dream pool of memories to work with. So basically it just added a lot to people's lives, what became a part of your life even subconsciously maybe. So this reflection on MTV's success has this key quote I want to point out. Obsolescence is built in. Like fashion, identity can change with a switch of scene, a change in the beat. The good news is you can be anything, anywhere. That is also the bad news, which whets the appetite for more. Basically saying that music videos are a great place to feel like someone else for a few minutes to escape into this visual world and music really is transformative in that way and can transport you somewhere um, so the good news is that it can do that but the bad news is that it can also do that and make you want more so it's over in just a few minutes and makes you want more so that's why the slogan you know I want my MTV and too much is never enough those phrases really caught on because it's, uh, you know, it's all about feeding into that constant need for more of that content. 
I think honestly if MTV was still what it used to be, that 24-7 video channel, it would actually be more popular than ever. And it may seem like vi music video popularity has been waning over time, but that's just simply not the case. And I want to point out why. So we are living through such a scary era. It's so unpredictable, the future is so uncertain, even more than usual, and at a time where people feel lost and out of control, they want to feel like they have something to control. And so as everyone seeks control in their daily lives, what, what more fun way to do that than to feel like you have control over chart rankings and voting TRL style and fandom activities, you know, making sure your fave gets first place or whatever. So fandom activities are a great source of control, a great source of community too, and a way to feel connected during this isolating time. So it just like meets the moment to be in a fandom. And especially with the rise in social media, that's easier than ever to keep being a part of a fandom. So also, at this time where things are so scary in the real world, it's nice to escape for a few minutes at a time to a different world, which is the escapism music videos provide that I think is more needed than ever. So the mix of needing control and the escapism through videos are both so key these days. Also, it's a very distracting time. The news is full, there's so much going on, and so... When it's hard, you know, to focus on something long-term, and I've been feeling that some days, honestly. I love to read, but these days it's hard to read a book because it just feels so daunting. And I'm sure a lot of people are like that, too, with whatever big task they have in front of them. It feels extra weird and daunting to start now, given how uncertain the future of the project is. These mental roadblocks that we're all dealing with right now. So I think music videos are a great way to... A great hobby for people to have right now because... It's something to focus on for just a few minutes at a time. You know, you can catch the latest from your favorite artist in just a few minutes, and it doesn't feel like a daunting task. Also, people, like I said before, are more annoyed than ever at advertisements and how direct they are trying to sell them stuff. Especially nowadays, when budgets are tighter, a lot of people are under financial strain, it seems more and more out of touch for ads to be talking about, look, I know times are tough, but you still want to buy this car. So I think MTV strategy is more uh, needed now than ever just from, a, from an economic perspective in terms of like, if I were like a manager, I would totally try to invest in more subtle versions of advertisements. MTV is needed now more than ever, or the MTV strategy. I would love like an all K-pop MTV channel. That'd be awesome because one, it gives people a sense of control and and, and pride in their fandom affiliation. Two, it's great escapism. Three, it's uh, great for our attention spans these days. Four, it's subtle product placement. So just from a marketing standpoint, this would be smart for them to do. And five, this one is most important then MTV can adapt the logo, people want more and more, and it would be punny, and I love it. Those are why I think it should come back around this MTV-style channel. I would love for that to have a revival, and it kind of did with a new version of TRL, but it's not the same. Music video viewing does remain a common hobby, whether people realize it or not. If we look at what Common Sense Media's Fall 2019 survey revealed, over 1,600 people were surveyed between the ages of 8 and 18. It showed that the percent of young viewers watching videos online every day more than doubled, no matter what age group you looked at, no matter how you broke down the age ranges, they more than doubled just throughout the past year. Went from 34 to 69% in one case, 24 to 56 in another. The 8 to 12 age range now has a little under 5 hours on average of screen time a day, and teens average around 7.5 hours a day. There's less TV watching as a family now, too. The survey also reported that TV watching went from being a more uh, gather-round-in-the-living-room activity to being just something people do in solitude. And so that is... Oh, music video viewing is a personal experience that can personally affect you, and that is more relevant than ever. I'll post this survey on my site so you can really dig into the stats if you're into that, but let's move on and talk about Vivo. So Vivo, the latest from them are that in 2018, they had an average of 800 million daily views, citing 300% growth the past five years. So throughout five years, 300% growth in music video views throughout this decade. So it continues to be on the rise, and that's why I say music videos are doing the opposite of dying out. 
73% of teens in the Vivo survey said that music, quote, music videos are the best type of content for showing an artist's creative vision, and 67% of them said they are more likely to share music videos with friends and on social media than they are other videos. These continue to be recirculated. That's what to, what's to keep in mind is that people may wonder, like, are, are music videos even relevant still? Are they getting boring? Well, first of all, they probably are, and that's because you haven't discovered K-pop yet, that story of my life. Second of all, is that watching videos doesn't mean what it used to. There's your first viewing of the video, then there's your second viewing where you really take notes on the symbolism in it. I'm mostly referring to just K-pop at this point. Then the third time you're ready to edit it and share your dubbed versions or your memes about it or your deeper, more in-depth theories and interpretations about the video. Then that gets circulated on social media to fans. Then they reinterpret what you interpreted and it keeps you going. And so that's why I think, you know, K-pop is so powerful online because the K-pop fandoms from around the world, they can kind of assemble and then continually recirculate content so that it always stays relevant. So music videos have gotten boring and tired, frankly, for some West, from some Western artists, and then they have their time and then they go, you know, they're, they're the one hit of the year or whatever, and then we don't hear them again. Whereas K-pop videos get get re recirculated and re-edited and re-shared more than any more than so many western videos I would argue thanks to the power of social media connecting fans worldwide that those videos are always relevant and they're always being re-brought up like remember this classic k-pop song or remember this classic k-pop video or bringing it back into the conversation because you have to for the sake of your theory about how the storyline keeps going and how it's all connected to previous works they've done so the bodies of work stay relevant with k-pop and that's what's so impressive marketing wise in just something that i appreciate so much is because it's so smart that they don't have like they don't ebb and flow with their popularity as much as some other stars because every time they release a video it's like an installment in a tv series and i use that comparison a lot because videos tend to be incomplete without the full story just like a tv episode being gone would interrupt the whole chain of events and so that's really key to keep in mind here so we've talked about the neurology of it all now let's talk about a theory perspective from simon firth who wrote this iconic music video theory in 1988. So this is a very long-standing theory that withstands the test of time. He basically described music videos and their storylines as falling into three main typologies. I have to argue that K-pop videos are so spectacular and exceptional because they fall into more than one category, whereas other videos don't as often. So first of all, there's the performance category. Those videos are when the singer is just, you know, looking at the camera, playing their instruments. It's just watching them perform the song. The goal of those videos is intentionally to really let you feel like you're watching them live, like you're you're a part of the act, you've got a front row seat. Second category are the narrative videos. Those tell a story with a linear sequence of events. And three is conceptual, so that's all heavily reliant on symbolism and poetry and layers of interpretable meaning. And it tends to be the most personal, personalized and personal viewing experience for fans. I would argue that K-pop videos often do a mix of those, where you have the performance videos, the Rose does a great job of that, making you feel like you are getting a front row seat to the performance and the story. One We does that as well. They're the narrative stories that clearly tell us series of events like big classic soap opera-esque extra acting, super extra acting driven Big Bang videos. Then there are the conceptual videos like BTS and Blood, Sweat and Tears and all of the more symbolic videos, but then a lot of mixing. Like BTS does have narrative mixed with their conceptual work. We have uh, performances from The Rose, but they also have a narrative in some of their videos. So there's a lot of overlap, and that's one of the other things that stands out about K-pop videos. So I have to argue why Seventeen is the best at just music videos because they're my alts, and I know I'm super biased, but I also need to say that I'm very impressed because they really do fit in all these categories. So first of all, performance. That is like, there. a lot of artists do have that fan song, but 
for 17s, I have to say that's exceptional from my entirely biased perspective because like this video for Smile Flower, it shows concert footage, it shows fans singing together, it shows the behind the scenes of the album process and everything, and it shows the perf them performing it from a unique perspective. And it's like you're just there back in the concert. It puts you back into a place in time. And that's what makes a performance video extra meaningful and not just like why did they make a music video of them just standing there singing like it has a carries a deeper purpose that is really shown through what 17 does they show the purpose of those kind of videos so if you're going to make a performance driven video make it the 17 way we've got the narratives those are with like fun videos like Monse where there's the whole storyline with trying to get the girl and everything and those are usually mixed with their conceptual elements like fear by 17 where the, they have a lot of references to literature they've mentioned Grimm's fairy tales being an inspiration for that video they also have references just a lot of symbolism there and we've already talked about that quite a bit but I'm just saying that they really tap into all these categories. They tap into the performance aspect of things, the narrative, and the conceptual of it all. So that is why they are just simply the best. So going back to psychology for a second, Carl Jung, we've talked about at length, who was one of BTS's biggest inspirations. And just a super quick recap, Carl Jung basically talked about how we always distinguish a private self from our public self, so who we are in person versus when no one's around, our persona versus our shadow, you know what that's a reference to, and talking about how those parts of ourselves constantly are at war with each other a bit, we have to reconcile those different parts of ourselves to figure out who we truly are, and so to learn who the self is, you need to understand where you are in terms of your persona versus your shadow, and how you make those two ends of your personality meet in the middle is really how you come to terms with who you are. So that is a super condensed way of talking about his theories, but it's enough information for this to make sense. So... Dreams have a clear connection here because dreams are viewed as a way to carry out what Carl Jung was talking about, where dreams are a way where you can subconsciously be working on connecting those parts of yourself. You know, there are a lot of dreams where maybe you are feeling embarrassed uh, admitting to something, you confess to something you are hiding from people in public, and so that connects who you are in public with who you've been in private. Point is, though, that dreams kind of help you solve issues, solve problems, and feel like one of the ways you can solve those problems is by coming clean about who you were in private versus public, feeling truly honest in every way, like you're not hiding anything. And so dreams can be just like a therapeutic experience to have. And so Carl Jun would appreciate the emphasis on dreams that is placed in videos like NCT's world. And we talked about this at length in the House of Cards episode with NCT and Seventeen and BTS. All have moments where they talk about this concept of what is a dream versus what is an illusion and how this dream world they're creating quite literally has a deeper purpose and really goes back to how you understand who you are as a person. Dreams are really, really deep. I don't think people realize it's not just a random mix of events in your mind. There's a lot that goes into what comes, what your brain creates when you're asleep. So thoughts that are forced into your consciousness from your subconscious to your conscience through dreams are a way to come back to yourself and bring the persona and the shadow together to form a whole. And so that connection, I connect that Carl Jung's philosophy with dreams, which also connects to BTS and these other artists. So it's like a total triangle here with K-pop videos and the way that you can apply them to that deep interpretation of, of dreams. Lastly, overall, I'd say one of the biggest appeals of these videos are the fact that they are conversation starters. There's something to bond over, to theorize over, to spend a lot of time talking about and dissecting with other fans. So there's this scholar on media and social change. I apologize if I pronounce this wrong, called Pat Alfterhide. And she said, quote, for young people struggling to find a place in communities dotted with shopping malls but with few community centers, in an economy whose major product is information, music videos play to the search for identity in an improvised community. She's saying that 
in today's world, it's really hard. We're finding, like she said, shopping malls, but without community centers, you know, like where the priorities in terms of neighborhoods and our hobbies and how we connect with people. An economy that the major product is information, that's key. You know, intellectual property is quite the discussion topic these days because of social media really scrambling how people define who owns a thought or who owns a concept. And then music videos play to the search for identity in an improvised community. So certainly community, I already explained that clear link. And then as for how it helps you come to terms with your identity, again, music videos as they relate to dreaming because Music videos have so many structural parallels to dreams that it shows that watching a music video can have the same effect as a dream in terms of how it helps you come to terms with who you are and reconciling the private versus public selves. And so there's so much psychology behind dreams that also applies to music videos. So they can be a therapeutic tool in a lot of ways. And that's why people resonate with storylines like Seventeen's and BTS's so much because they tap into different parts of what we needed subconsciously to feel emotionally fulfilled. And then they become a big integral part of our lives, uh, both awake when we're awake and asleep. So, you know, we literally are like sleeping on their music, but in a good way. So Billboard recently released their list of the top 100 artists who they think have, quote, made the music video eternal. I would argue, in terms of all of these neurological and theoretical and philosophical arguments I've presented, that in order to make the cut on Billboard's list, an artist should truly show why music videos are eternal. Instead of being credited with making the music video eternal, they should show why music videos would have always been eternal anyway and been a been proof of that. So let's see who they picked. They said Girls' Generation, quote, set the standard for impressively choreographed Korean girl group videos, as well as the importance of eye-catching outfits and props. Red Velvet was on the list for, quote, inspired and brilliantly executed concepts that prove quickly unforgettable. BTS was also on there with, quote, often finding a balance between individual member showcases and impressive group choreography. I will also share in a second who else I think belongs on that list, but I will say that Girls' Generation, for sure, that performative aspect of videos that we were talking about is there, as well as, yes, they set a standard, they really raised the bar, their synchronization has always been impressive, and that part is key, talking about how they showed the importance in videos of eye-catching outfits and props, where there it's a way for you to tell your story and express yourself through those videos, which... For people who want to feel like it's relatable, that's what makes the viewing experience great for some girls' generation videos. Red Velvet, that was a perfect summary. Inspired and brilliantly executed concepts that prove quickly unforgettable. Red Velvet, that was a perfect summary. Inspired and brilliantly executed concepts that prove quickly unforgettable. I mean, when you try to describe a Red Velvet video to anybody, I'm sure it sounds just bizarre and why would you like that? But I mean, like if you just say, you know, they interviewed some life-size fruit or they, you know, put that guy's torso in a cube or whatever, like it sounds bizarre and unhinged, but it just makes sense when you watch them. I've talked about this a lot on my show before their videos, but all to say that Red Velvet really does have concepts that they created a fantasy world through their videos, which is what what this concept is all about, you know? The narrative that they tell that is so goofy and next level and just theatrical. The theatrics of it all I love, and it's a great escape. BTS, that is a great summary, really, of what appeals about their videos, is that they do balance individual members with group activity. Again, going back to that last quote I said about how music videos fulfill a need, quote, to search for identity and an improvised community. BTS is all about that, where they use their videos to tell how their stories interconnect, as well as their individual paths that eventually come converge into the same journeys. So definitely those three belong on the list. So here is who I picked for my top 21 Yes, I just picked 21. I couldn't narrow it down any further. Picks for the artists who have really proved why music videos can be so eternally relevant and worth watching. First three, I'll just say BTS, Red Velvet, Girls' Generation. And then fourth, 17, of course. Fifth, Monsta X. They have done a really great 
music video universe job as well that has a narrative. It's the, It falls into the narrative category and the conceptual category with the symbols, ATs. We talked about that a lot in all the Wonderland connections I found, which is another great example of how you keep a conversation going online because I'm sure a lot of people disagree with me about all those Wonderland connections, but that's part of the fun. And I'm helping keep their early work relevant. You know, I'm doing my part. Vix is next on my list because of the mythology and all of the ways that they tie in symbolism. They have a very conceptual, uh, they definitely fall into the conceptual category for their videos. Taman slash Shiny, because this was a list for bands, but I also wanted to shout out the soloist Taman. So consider Taman and Shiny as one on my list of 21 artists. He just talked about his music video world, so I won't go into it here, but it definitely falls into narrative and conceptual categories and the performance category sometimes too. TXT for the literal magic that they invoke in their story. It's definitely both the narrative, the conceptual. K-pop does this a lot, which I appreciate. We're going to talk more about their universe soon. NCT, which again, we're going to recap soon. Stray Kids, because they really embody that ultimate message that truly they would thrive on MTV today if it was still that 24-hour video content because they really they their music videos are like a call to action they demand your attention their call for the youth to stand proudly and be themselves unapologetically they really grab your attention not just with your ears but with your eyes and so that is just perfect for televised viewing you know Red Velvet's on the list, of course. Lovelies I put on the list because they do a great job creating a fantasy world of... Oh My Girl does that as well, so they're on the list too. Lovelies and Oh My Girl both really create this dream world of sorts in their music video scenery and their outfit ideas and all of that. Like Every choice they make uh, visual-wise is just so perfect for what escapist videos are all about. Plus, they can make your dreams more fun because the elements in the video are super fun and cutesy. And so then when you go to sleep, you might end up dreaming about something super fun and cutesy or that element will at least be in your dream and make it less frightening if it's a bad dream. <laughs> so, Wiki Mickey I put on here because they do a great job reinventing themselves to match the song and leave you in thoughts. Their videos are always an aesthetic trip but a different trip every time. So like you have Picky Picky where they have the school setting and those pastel-ish outfits and um, that whole thing. And then there's like Crush. That video is very like girl crush and edgy, sassy. and But it has like fun, just attention getting things like what happened to that poor teddy bear, like stuff like that. So they always, they have a very great storytelling ability to pull you in. So I'm impressed by them. Twice I put on here because their choreography is also so in sync and impressive and their performance is just top notch and what a good video is all about. One Us I put on here because especially lately I've been impressed by their unique storytelling that's very... I want I don't want to say Game of Thrones-esque because I don't know enough about Game of Thrones for that to truly be right or not in my head, but... It's very regal. It's got this whole setting of a castle type feel. It's very, I feel like there's, there are some big things in the future for that storyline that they have now. And I just think they tell a really cool cinematic story. CLC, they do, again, a great job of reinventing themselves. But visually, they always have something about, new about their video that I am gravitating towards. We recently talked on the show about their last video for Helicopter, which has all that artwork from Da Vinci in the background, and so I was looking at the setting. Whereas in the No video, I was looking at the props and all of the bright colors. Then in the Pepe video, I was looking at their instant choreography. So they always find a new way to draw your eyes to the video. Everglow I put on here because they have larger-than-life set designs that are just remarkable. And then they have their fun choreography and stuff, so there's so much to look at. They have huge formations with a lot of backup dancers, and they also have this huge presence just literally in terms of the stage setup. So just the, the visual elements, again, are just so wonderful from them. 21 I put on here as number 21 because... They, they've really embodied that. It's actually something that some sociologists describe as uglification, which we'll talk about in future episodes of How to Stand, but uglification is a real thing. It's what some girl groups try to do, which is just a, a term that's really, it doesn't mean make yourself ugly, but it's make yourself not 
um, make yourself non-conforming to feminine expectations of behavior. And so they were always very, very willing to just embrace that. You know, K-pop boy groups are kind of categorized as either the beast image or the flower boy image. And the beast image is what 21 embodied, even if that wasn't seen as like a traditionally acceptable way to be as a girl group. Um, but they've always rocked that concept of, you know, doing things that are stereotyp stereotyped as masculine, like just, you know, the, all the smashing and the looks that they served in the I'm the best video or similar ones, you know, they they very much challenge stereotypes and flip them on their head. And so that storytelling just embodies this huge just force in girl group history you know they really made their mark they play a key role in that transformation of girl groups and how they're perceived and accepted lastly ace i know i said there was 21 and i flipped the order to talk about 21 first forgive me for that but ace because they have they've really continued to use their outfits in particular to tell a compelling story again beforehand they used to be just known as the guys who wore the shorts and they've come to be, represent so much more than that but i just think it's a very cool way how fashion has been such a key part of that journey of how they're perceived and now they have you know the oriental traditional clothing that they're wearing for the latest comeback and the ways that they have done their hair and makeup traditionally it's really like they constantly reinvent themselves through their outfits and again that goes back to what music videos show which is an ability to connect with others and view yourself as relating to them in some way or just learning about what makes them stand out and it's a way of really coming to terms with who you are and fashion is key to that which music videos can help with and some who i think deserve to be on this list were girls generation red velvet and bts for proving why music videos are eternal but i would also add to that list 17 luna monster x 80s, Vix, Shiny slash Taman, TXT, NCT, Stray Kids, Red Velvet, Lovelies, Wiki Mickey, Oh My Girl, Twice, One Us, Ace, Everglow, CLC, and 21. So all of this is to say that music videos are not going anywhere, that K-pop music videos truly are next level and why they are next level in terms of popularity and just how good they are, in my biased opinion, really do have a lot of layers of, there are a lot of explanations for why they are so popular that I think people should not underestimate the power of these videos. And third of all, I just wanted to, again, do what I constantly like to do on this show, which is remind people why fandom affiliation and love for musicians and their work really should not be viewed as this weird negative obsession you know it's really truly some artists and their music is a great vehicle to learn more about yourself to escape for a while it's just a great distraction mixed with a way to achieve this self-realization and coming to terms with who you are and so if anyone critiques your music video love refer to some of the stats I shared about how videos help people come to terms with their identity and do other things in terms of self-reflection and growth as a person. So they make you a better person. And they serve the same function as dreaming. So if someone argues you need to get more sleep, they should also argue that you need to watch more music videos and stop sleeping on great artists. That pretty much sums up what I wanted to say about MTV's history and how it converges with evidence that has surfaced over time of the impact of dreaming and how music videos are actually quite similar. So marketing-wise and mentally, uh, there are reasons for MTV success that tr have transitioned over time to embody why K-pop music videos are so successful and rack up so many views. So I hope I've inspired you to try out watching a few if you have never done so, or otherwise just shown you why um, I get it and I get what the big deal is. So that sums up what I wanted to talk about today. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.